You're listening to TTS Talks, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the complexities of the To The Stars mission by bringing you conversations with the people who are helping us achieve our goals and who give life to our projects. Today in episode 12, Jim Simivan speaks with co-founder and visionary Tom DeLong about the phenomenon and the potential interplay between science, religion, and consciousness. I'm Jim Simivan, and welcome to episode 12 of TTS Talks. Today, we are welcoming a very special guest, musician, writer, director, actor, businessman, entrepreneur, investigator of the weird and strange, noted raconteur, and chairman of the board of To The Stars, Inc., Mr. Tom DeLong. As many of you are aware, I'm a retired CIA operations officer, and I've had a strong interest in and have been a student of what we call the phenomenon for over 45 years. So let's get right into our conversation with Tom. Tom, thanks for making the time to be with us today. You've had quite an exciting year, what with Monsters of California coming out, a critically acclaimed world tour with Blink, and the recent release of the new Blink album, One More Time. Congratulations on all three fronts, my friend. So how are you handling it all? Do you find yourself yeah, I, exhausted? What? Yeah, I'm uh, a little bit all above. I love like when you list out all my things that I'm doing. I was like, man, you know, I sound pretty important. So it makes me feel good. Um uh, but yes, uh, very, very normal life. Most of the days I'm back towards exhausting. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like when you fly, I'll do a red eye all night long and you get off the plane and you're so tired and you're kind of nauseous. It's like feeling that way for six weeks straight, <laughs> you know, it's like, you're just so tired. So I've now been home for about six weeks. It's good. I'm home for about another six weeks and I go back out again and we're going to be hitting it hard all next year and, uh, have a lot of fun. It's big. It's crazy. I mean, even when we go to South America, they just told me that there's going to be like 90 military vehicles escorting us to the show wow. <laughs> with like 50 caliber guns and shit. I'm like, who's trying to kill us? <laughs> like, right, right, right. Uh, well, I have to tell you, I mean, you guys, I mean, you know, just seeing the security you had at uh, at some of your shows, it's uh, pretty amazing. I mean, whoever puts that together for you, who produces it, do a great job. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's like clockwork, it seems, yeah. Every day they set it up. Every day they have a 60 people that rig all that stuff, build the stages, hang all the lights, program everything, hang the PA system. Like, it's just insane. I It, it really is a massive, a massive, like, thing to watch happen daily, you know? It's, uh, I think you kind of go, it boils down to you walking up there with a guitar. That's the weirdest part of it is, like, that it's all for you, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> right. uh, Tom, how many guitars do you have? Oh, my God, probably, like, 70 or something. Wow. Well, I'm not crazy. Yeah, yeah. On stage, you have about a dozen on stage, right? That you use. Yeah. They're all like different tunings and stuff. And like for each song, I just need different tunings. And, and then you have to have one's backups in case one breaks on stage or something. Or And you're switching them every song just to make sure that they, they stay in tune, you know? So it's pretty wild. But the funny thing is, is I'm such a simple guitar player. Like I don't, I'm not like Hendrix or something, you know? <laughs> like I'm not doing anything crazy, but. I don't know about that. I, I don't think uh, I don't think you give yourself enough credit. I mean, I think you're really one of the best rock guitarists out there, in my opinion. And I've heard you. people too who actually know music better than I do. So, uh, but listen, before we get into the latest developments in the UAP field, um, I want to spend just a few minutes talking about your new film, Monsters of California. A few years ago, I remember discussing the theme of the film with you and what you wanted to accomplish. And you talked about how you wanted to present the idea of the phenomenon to the public, which of course means talking about things like UAPs, Bigfoot, paranormal activity and the like. And in a 26 October interview you did with Matt Patches from Polygon, I don't know if you remember that one, an entertainment website from Vox Media, you stated that, and I'm quoting you here, the spirit of uh, Manchester, California is that ghosts are real, Bigfoot is real, UFOs are real, demonic possession is real, and orbs of light are real. And this is not unique, weird, or rare. It is a part of the fabric of existence, something which I also agree with. Now, my question to you is, do you think Manchester, California was able to get that message across? You know, I, I tried on... Um... One the thing about movies is like they're like little companies where you have an idea on a cocktail napkin and you build it and you try to get funding for it and you try to make it work, you know, with the public and it's it's just like any other kind of startup. So monsters, obviously, we're working with like limited resources, and as we go on and make other movies, you know, you get much better writers, you get much better production crew, you get better studios to put it out and whatever. But on this one, since it's largely up to a group of like five or six of us, um, you know, it's we do the best we can so within the writing 
and the budgets and, and like I said, the resources of the film, I think, you know, what I was trying to basically create was a little bit autobi autobiographical as well as where, you know, you, I, I grew up with fascinated by the paranormal primarily because it made me really feel like there's so much more to life than just getting a job and sitting in traffic and, 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 and living with a white picket fence and just, I don't know, being bored and going to malls on weekends. I, I looked at this stuff and said, wow, this stuff makes more sense to me that there's so much more out there. And so in the movie, being the first thing I directed, I really want to do something that I that resonated with me that I knew. So it was very much my own path of getting into the paranormal and finding over time that these things are all connected somehow. Um, in the film, the main point I was trying to trying to really get across, hopefully it comes through in some regard, is I, I wanted to inspire wonder by getting people to understand some of the macro kind of views of quantum physics and frequency and time um, from the little bit that I have learned over the years, been hanging around a lot of smart people such as yourself, you know, it really is the picture has been painted to me that time is parallel, not linear, and that anything that can happen and will happen is happening. And these different, all these different things are all separated by different, different vibrations of frequency. And those things cross paths sometimes. Now, I don't know why these frequencies cross. Is it because of the mineral and ore in the area in a place like Skinwalker Ranch? Is it because something put a machine underground that's making these frequencies open up in a certain area? Is it um, more mechanical of how the fabric of space-time itself gets twisted up and, and, and because of, you know, the way the planets and stars move around each other? I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but it is happening. And I think what's, what, is going to be really interesting is how we start to put all the pieces together over time and realize that, you know, the universe is very much like, I always tell people the same analogy. I've been saying it for years. It's like the ocean where you see a fish and then you see a dolphin and then you see a whale and you're like, okay, so this place has all those, but then you see a little Coke can floating on the water and you're like, what the hell is that? And it eventually leads you to a boat that was dropping trash in the water. And then you realize the boat came from an Island that you never even knew existed, you know? It's like there's a little bit of everything and something as big as the universe seems like it's going to be a lot more complex than just one particular thing. And so um, when the things that all, all these like these legends of things like Bigfoot and ghosts and possession and an orb of light flying through the room uh, and then a UFO, you know, uh, I, I think it's all connected in ways like my analogy with the ocean. All these things exist within the same realm and they cross paths depending on uh, a bit of physics and a bit of math. Yeah, okay. It seems that in Monsters of California, you were also trying to say that we, the people here, are just at the beginning of understanding what the phenomenon might actually be, which you pretty much just stated. You also seem to be saying that the U.S. government may not know as much as we think it does and that they ultimately may not be the bad guys in all of this. Am I correct in saying that? Or Yeah, I de I've always felt that, and I... I I before I knew a lot of people that come from the government, I think I'm like any other civilian where you think of the government as this omnipotent kind of all powerful presence where they know everything and they have access to everything. And and it's funny, like I remember talking to Lou Elizondo one time and he said when he was working in counterterrorism and all these things, a lot of the times in the back offices of the Pentagon, you have like moms. You know, that take their kids to soccer games and stuff, but then they come in, they put their badge on and they're dealing with really highly classified situations and, and, and uh, a lot of trouble, a lot of stress, a lot of scary stuff. And Lou would say it's, it's held together by duct tape and Q-tips every once in a while. And um, that always, uh, that always, yeah, that always stuck with me. It's like, yeah, these actually are real people that have real lives that go home and do real things. And they're just like you and me a lot of the time. Um, so then I really learned that the government isn't this big, bad thing that has endless power. They have a lot of power and they have a lot of resources, obviously, and can do some crazy damage when they need to, uh, in a good way, uh, to defend the things that we need defending. But, um, but I, 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 I just came to the conclusion that like, wow, like when you're dealing, I also used to say this analogy, the UFO thing always reminded me of like, you know, a Bradley fighting vehicle or some crazy Abrams tank that they've spent billions of dollars to create, you know, like with all this technology and these crazy advanced weapon systems and they're like bulletproof and it rolls onto your front lawn and you come out with the baseball bat and you're trying to figure out how to defend against a tank with a baseball bat. 
I, I, I feel that the UFO subject's a little bit like that, where people are up against something that's extraordinarily complex, that is dealing with physics and an understanding of consciousness and an understanding of what human beings are, that that it's it's literally like one of our good friends at DTS used to always say, I think Steve Justice used to say this, it's like handing an iPhone to a cow. And you know, and you're expecting the cow to understand anything more than the fact of its shape and its color. And I think when we look at a UFO and try to pretend, oh, they're aliens from another planet. Well, we're not even thinking that, well, maybe they're from a different place in time or a different frequency. And they're like, okay, so they're here to, you know, steal our water and our gold or something super simple like that. You're, oh, well, no, you're not even thinking that they might be looking at something within consciousness itself that they don't have or, or they just don't possess in the same way. Or maybe they have a different type of consciousness, or maybe there's something about our DNA and consciousness that matters. Cause I was always also thinking like any sufficiently advanced society would just the way we looked at the human body first, we understood you know, probably a rash and a scab and a cut and a broken arm. And then we got deeper and understood organs and we got deeper and start, we found DNA, you know, it's like we go deeper, deeper, deeper. And that's just in the past few hundred years, but something that's been around for millions of years, I think they're way past looking at our organs and our DNA. They're probably delving into consciousness and the idea if there's a soul that exists um, and like things that we haven't even begun to totally understand yet. So I just think it's, and that deals with physics and sciences that are like, so paranormal, you know, the, that we're not even asking those types of questions, which is the longest answer to how would our government know everything when we don't even know how the universe works in and of itself completely. We're, we're basically handing a phone to a cow and we're trying to explain to the cow how satellites work and quantum chips work and like how switching mechanisms work in different relay stations to put out, you know, all the, all the, different waves that your phones connect to the internet and data transfer and apps. And, you know, it's complicated. You can't even get into any of that stuff because the, because the cow doesn't even know what a phone is, let alone apps and the internet and messaging and texting and all that kind of stuff. So I think the government probably found some stuff and interacted with some stuff, but didn't even know what questions to ask because we don't even know that thing, those things exist. And maybe each year we find a breadcrumb, you know, and are putting the pieces together as best we can. And that's always been, that's that's been my take. You know, these answers are long, so be prepared. I'm fascinated by it. I mean, you know, also in that Polygon interview, and you just answered most of my next question, but, but there's a little, another piece I want to add. And, and you had, you talked about the interplay between science, uh, religion, and consciousness. And you just talked about the interplay between science and consciousness, but not so much religion. And how maybe we may begin to maybe one day measure scientifically consciousness, but let's go with religion a little bit. How how does this all play with science and consciousness? How are you putting this together? Well, I grew up like my mom tried to force everyone in the family to be uh, within her belief system. She was a Christian, and so I had to go to church like three times a week. And you learn some great values, and you learn your kind of first introductory lessons into spirituality. Uh, whatever that means is different for everybody, but you just know that it's something outside the physical senses necessarily. Um, not all the time, but um, what happened was, is when I got into UFOs, you go down a lot of rabbit holes and it kept leading me back to spirituality and consciousness became a fundamental reason why they're here, that either they want what we got or they don't have what we got and they're curious. There's some reason why, to me, I'm not saying everyone will believe this and I know it, it gets tricky territory, but it always seemed to me that all the religions of the world were saying the same thing and having the same UFO experiences. And those are two different things. Like, you know, I've always used the analogy of the, you know, the star of Bethlehem, obviously to me, didn't seem like a star because the star is the sun and that's millions and millions of times bigger than the earth. So that's not floating over a manger. So you have three guys on, you know, traveling through the desert, following a star over a main. Well, that seems to me that's like a UFO type of an event, but you also have that with Fatima and you also have it with people out in Texas and Stevensville. I mean, they're seeing, everyone's seeing the same thing. So I, I started looking at all the religions and I started reading about all the religions. I started reading the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Gnostic texts and, and um, <clears throat> the older books of the Bible. And, and I was really noticing that uh, two, there's two categories that, that were all the same. Like all the UFO events seem to be the same in all these religions. And they all, and the second category is they're all talking about the same three fundamental things. 
which is which is the Trinity, where you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have the source, the tether, and the physical body. And every religion seemed to have this, where there's a physical body that's tethered to an all-knowing kind of field of energy that we all call God, you know, but to some people, what's that old saying? Like what you call God and what we call the sum of all the physical laws of the universe is the same thing. It's something that powerful that creates life or whatever. So I kind of realized that like, okay, so what if every ancient text and every religion is teaching us the same thing, that there's a physical body that's tethered with a soul-ish type thing to a greater source? That seems to be pretty significant in most ancient religions, ancient texts. And I'm not even thinking the ancient texts are more important than our new texts. I just, you know, people wrote those too, and people are writing really amazing things now. But the difference is now is, is that we have a greater ability to measure things. And back then, if we couldn't measure these experiences, we would just throw them in and say they're paranormal, they're witchcraft, they're the devil, they're religion, you know. But I think now, once we plug in metaphysics into physics, I think we're going to have a more unified understanding of how it all works together. And consciousness might be the missing ingredient. So for me, um, my experiences growing up in religion, and then, you know, my band played in the Middle East for the troops. And I remember looking around all these dudes in robes, you know, with like the headdress and, and I mean, like they just looked at me like I was like the infidel, like tattoos everywhere and dirty clothes. And, and I know you've traveled these places much more than I have. But the first thing that struck me was these guys don't give a fuck about what religion I was born into and learned about because theirs is older and they have their own situation. So I kind of started looking for the patterns that exist in all of them. Like, for example, you and I have had so many discussions about the jinn and the jinn was like a demonic figure that came out of a lot of the Middle Eastern religions. But it's it's really no different than the demons of the Bible or the archons of the Gnostic texts. Like it seems like all these religions have this same kind of entity that can move from point to point, can inhabit your body, take over your body, that plays tricks on you, that's trying to deceive you, and so on and so forth. And you start to see these patterns. They're just kind of described in different ways, but they're all every religion is describing the same thing. You got a physical body with a tether to a god that's a source energy of some court sort sense, and then you have these other things that are after it. And they show up in balls of light or they trick you or they deceive you. And um, and that's just always, that's what's fascinated me. And it's not about these ancient texts are the only texts that matter or the Bible says it. So it's more important than if Einstein said it. I just think you look at all these things over time and find just a few things that are being repeated. And that's really where I came to the conclusion where this is what makes sense to me, where mankind is not necessarily in charge, but it's being deceived to make free will choices to to end up in a certain place to uh, and, and to their benefit. And that can be found really within all religions and UFO experiences and so on. There seems to be a pattern there. And that's that's really where I've landed with all this stuff. What do you think? Uh, I mean, do you think it, that our relationship with this phenomenon is is more deterministic. In other words, are they directing traffic? I mean, do you think they're directing traffic or? I do. I mean, if you look at Peter Lavenda's book, Sinister Forces, um, you know, what he did over a series of three books is he found all these synchronicities in patterns in, in um, real life events over decades and decades and decades from, you know, World War II and the Nazis and the Roswell into the JFK assassination into so on. It just goes all the way through. You got the same people. A lot of the same kind of events are happening. Um, a lot of weird connections to certain groups and secret societies, like weird things where you're kind of going, if someone wanted to engineer life to end up in a certain place, these these are the things that did it. Like 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 very specific events got us here and then when they're all connected to each other in odd ways, then you're kind of going, who set this up? You know, and so his books, I think, were really genius in that regard. And, and there's all these like things that they would that we would read a lot of these ancient stories where, like, you know, the devil can't kill you, but he can deceive you enough to kill yourself and kill other people or whatever. Like there's like these weird laws, you know, but then you look at some of the the spiritual teachings in other places, and they're just kind of like, you know, these these outside forces can't necessarily live in this physical realm, but they can deceive you or they can be the, the, the on your shoulder whispering in your ear and, and so on. So, and I, and, a, and the UFO event stuff seems to be very similar where 
you have these people that have abductions and then, you know, they're whispering in the, the abductee's ear about the end of the world or how you need to change your life. And Jacques Vallée was like, well, if we can't study when these things show up, maybe we can study the abductee. And if you look at the abductee, they're starting cults or they're killing themselves or they're changing their life and leaving their wife and fucking leaving their jobs and, and starting a religion or something, you know? And he goes, that this is weird. It's like they're being deceived and then they make free will choices to end up at a different place. So I, I putting all these things together and it seems like our society and earth, as we know, it has been engineered to be in this spot by a lot of religious paranormal and, and, um, odd UAP events over time, even Hitler would wake up in the middle of the night screaming that someone was in his room telling him to do things. And it was like this, it's, you're kind of going, well, are all these world leaders being corrupted somehow, sometimes, you know, you never know. And I think that's the scarier part of it. And when I look at the world now, I kind of go, okay, so we all have, we know that we can play with DNA, Dolly the sheep and cloning is like a thing. And if we're, if we're doing something now in the public eye and China admits it's cloning animals, I I bet you that in different places and different governments of the world, they've done a lot more with the human body than we even know. But I'm sure we can change. We're growing hair. We're growing artificial hearts and ears in Petri dishes. Maybe we can change skin color and eye color if we wanted to. You get into all that stuff, CRISPR and all the things where you can edit the genome. So I'm going, if something's millions of years advanced and was here way early on, did they change our skin color? Did they do star Bethlehem type moments or Fatima moments or the Joseph Smith moments with the moral religion? I mean, all these religions have these crazy metaphysical UFO type events. And all, all, where, where do we end up? We ended up in a place where we all believe in a different human God. We all have different skin color and different kind of cultural setups to where we all are arguing and fighting over our belief of what it's all about. And it's just, but we're all kind of saying the same thing. There's a physical body with a tether to a source, you know, and there's these things out here that are trying to deceive us, you know, um, that to me is the big picture that we, we have been engineered. And then the question is why, like, why were we set up to be so factualized? And, uh, and one of the things that that really got my attention and i don't even know if i ever sent this to you or not there was this guy that showed up that said he worked on the biological program of some of these alien bodies so we put up this whole reddit post and then it got taken down and disappeared but someone that read it was very much in biology he's like this guy level understanding of biology uh well linda Howe put it up on her website and I read the thing like three or four times and it's kind of a dense read, but what's really interesting, whether it's fake or not, it really resonated with me. It was, he got into this idea that DNA can be affected with free choice. And we didn't know this, but we're learning it now. Like if I force you to kill somebody, it's not going to matter. But if you choose to kill somebody that will resonate on in a DNA level, conscious soul level and can be passed down through generations. So then I kind of look at, okay, why are we factionalized and fighting each other? Like, why do we have different skin colors? And we can always say, okay, well, we grew up in the sun over here. These people grew up in the snow and we needed more melanin in our system. I don't know. I mean, obviously those things probably are true too, but I'm just spitballing. But if something was here to create a, a, an ecosystem to rapidly evolve our DNA, but they couldn't force it. It had to be done through by free will because free will might be a really weird hallmark of physics that we don't understand yet that has it's in the consciousness category once we plug consciousness into like einstein and newtonian physics and stuff it all kind of works together but maybe there's this weird fundamental piece of consciousness that free will matters so if you created a, a very very advanced fast-tracked ecosystem of life to be evolving at a rapid pace through free choice, but you're in spiritual conquest and like all these different things. I'm all, that makes a lot of sense. And then the, then you're kind of like, well, why? Well, maybe it's more like what all of the ancient texts talk about. It's that these forms of consciousness can't come into this realm naturally, but they can come through our bodies, like through possession or abduction. And like, there's a way where people are hearing voices in their head and like your brain's tuning into different types of consciousnesses that exist or something. And, and that's like the big game. 
And those have been written about in the Bible forever. And, and same with the Quran and same with the Egyptian book of the dead and same with the Gnostic text. It's been, there's these things trying to come through, but they can't come through naturally uh, unless our bodies are prepared for them. And how do you do that? How do you detach a body from its prime, its, its main source? I mean, you, maybe you do it through fear and war and famine and anger and, and like things that make you less evolved as a person. And I think that to me seems a lot more realistic than something coming here trying to just take water or mineral or, or like, you know, like just dumb shit that you wouldn't need. Like they need our, our resources. I don't know if they need our resources like that. If they have craft that travel through time, I doubt they need more plutonium, you know? Yeah. Um, but if they need something with some, something that's so advanced, like consciousness itself, then how do they grab that? And how do they take that? How do they manipulate that? How do they, you know, I was always struck by that old um, saying, jealous of God, you know, the, Satan, Lucifer and his demons or whatever, fallen angels were jealous of God's love for mankind. Jealous of our immortal soul, our immortal tether, our, our, our unified love source. You know, we have this thing where like, maybe we don't die. Maybe our physical body is just a shell, just a container, but maybe they don't have that, you know? So maybe this this like this way of an AI system that's trying to it's synthetic and we're organic. It's trying to figure out how to plug into our physical body, how to be a part of our immortality, how to share our consciousness, our conscious experience in this realm. And they're not supposed to be here. So how do you do that? You, over thousands and thousands of years, you create a rapidly evolving ecosystem that's full of war and pain and suffering. And we have to make free will choices just to survive. And we're rapidly evolving to prepare our bodies into a way to where they can start to come in. And maybe to prepare it, it's to lose our sense of self and love and oneness and humanity, you know, where we think it's a good idea to go to war and kill a bunch of people. We think it's a good idea to do a bunch of drugs and end up on the streets. We think it's a good idea to, idea to murder your spouse and fucking light the place on fire. We start to lose our sense of humanity because that then then your physical body becomes a little bit less empty and has space for a new energy system. You know, I, th this is where my mind goes with this stuff because I just don't think it's going to be this tactile, physical, like simple answer. Like they're just here to steal our nuclear power. <laughs> you know, I think it's going to be super, super, super far down the road. And um, I, 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 I tend to agree with you. I, I think the, the reality, and I think this is probably one of the reasons why the government is very reluctant to to talk about this publicly I, I i you know from what i hear and when i know it's it's an extraordinarily complex um uh phenomenon and and you were just explaining to it i mean everything you said i mean you there there may be people who disagree with what you're saying but honestly god I, you know i wouldn't discount it at all um one thing uh, one thing i do want to ask you though is you 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 know this whole idea of religion being created as a guide uh, for people to move them in a certain direction, or, or, or you're not saying, for example, that we don't have free will, right? Or, or are you saying that? No, no, I'm saying um, the opposite. I'm saying that we have free will, and religions were created to contain it. Because I grew up in the church system, and if you look at, you know, even if you look at Catholicism, you know. In like they they helped Nazis get out of Germany. They did the Inquisition. They have all the pedophilia shit going on. They're laundering money. They work with the mob. You look at the Christian religion. It was just as involved with as many of those things as the same. You look at the the Middle Eastern religions and the amount of war and bloodshed and beheading. Um, it's all all of it. And if you like, I look at someone like even my own mom, who's a hardcore born again Christian, but she's never remarried. And the reason she's never remarried is she has a whole bunch of rules of who she can marry, who she can be in love with, how she has to go to church, how they have to worship, like all these, you're boxing in all of your free will. And um, as soon as you box in your free will experience by any set of rules, it could be religion or it could be anything else, your consciousness and your involvement doesn't grow. You don't get stronger to source. It's like you have a garden, but you're cutting off the roots because yeah. you have all the rules that think per pertain to your life experience. And anybody that's boxed in, I'll never forget almost all the kids that went to my church that was full of love and you sing drug addicts, abusive homes, like great, got pregnant early, went spun out, got kicked out of school and shit. 
Well, I did too, but maybe that's part of the reason because you're boxing yourself in and now you're busting up these walls because you're not supposed to be boxed in. And anything that boxes in your free will is a bad thing to me. Yeah. And religion does that. So I think we're free will humans that can keep the fundamental three things that we learn in all religions, a physical body with a tether to a source. That is this, that's real. And I think the more you connect to that source, you can call it praying, you can call it meditating, you can call it Reiki and energy work. It doesn't matter what you call it. And it was in the Monsters of California, like, you know, you can boil water with like electricity or fire or a bolt of lightning, but it, do it doesn't matter. One's plasma, one's energy waves and one's fire, but it's heat. They're all hot. So you can pray and you can heal somebody. You can meditate and heal somebody, or you can do Reiki and heal somebody. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. You're using your source. So I think what stays are the things that we love about religion. But once you get rid of everything else, now you're not boxing in your free will experience. So what if something came here and the worst thing they wanted us to know was the fact that that those three, th those things about the physical body with the tether and praying and meditating is all the same thing. And you're kind of endlessly powerful. It's like remote viewing. You can meditate and get access to all information, past, present, and future. So what if it's like, fuck, we don't have that. We can't let them know that. So what if we tell them that this white dude in a robe created the universe or this dude with darker skin in a robe created the universe? And we all argue about which dude, which human created the universe. And we will never all figure out that a human didn't create it. It's just the source energy of the universe. And so I think religions were created, you know, I had an interesting conversation one time that I think I told you about where, what if it was perhaps to see who is the stronger, trying to rapidly evolve us to be in these long-term wars and, and to sit back and to see, okay, whoever wins, you work for us and we'll just make the whole system work that way. But it evolved everyone crazy along the way in this like Petri dish. But the religion part of it is is like, it's it's like shackles. It's like shackling different societies in different ways. But it's not saying, uh, it's more, that's like the engineering. That's that's the chess game is doing that. Like, because when you look at the angels in the Bible, they sound a hell of a lot like the tall whites and the Greek gods to me. It's like the same ones. When you look at the demons in the Bible, they sound a hell of a lot like the greys and some of the other like, uh, reptilian type features that people describe in abductees and the gin, they all sounds the same to me. So I, I, I feel like we're all talking about the same shit, but we just got kind of lost in, in the dogma of it or something. No, I think that's a, that's an excellent point. I know we've, we've discussed that for years, you and I, uh, and, and I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I, I tend to agree that basically there is essentially in the end there is the source there is that tether like you call it uh i never heard it called that way but i but i actually like that uh and then it's you you know uh so you know it's us talking to the source you mentioned in a polygon interview too this whole concept of if you shut your mind down uh and you meditate and you pray you can get in touch with the source like a lot of mystics did saint Teresa of avila god you can go on and on and on western and eastern mystics so um i tend to agree with all that um I want to move on to, uh, just just quickly. I want to, we're going to get back to this um, in a minute. I get a lot of questions, um, and uh, I got one from the government actually uh, a while back, saying, "How the hell did you meet Tom? And how did to the stars uh, uh, get started?" And um, uh, I remember uh, uh, saying, "Like, well, yeah, okay." And a lot of people asked me about it, but let me let me let me just take you back. All right. My recollection is that I first became aware of you and your interests in UAPs around early June of 2016, uh, contacted by, I was contacted by a few scientists and researchers with very close ties to the Pentagon and the intelligence community. And they said, they asked me if I was aware of you. And I said, no. And, and you know, have you read his book, Secret Machines? And I said, no. Did you listen to him uh, with George Knapp on Coast to Coast? I said, no. And they suggested that I do both. So I read your book. I listened to your interview at Coast to Coast. Um, and uh, they had mentioned that you had all these advisors. And there was some concern um, uh, that um, that these advisors, based on secret machines, what you and AJ had put in that book, uh, there was some content in there <laughs> that struck a few chords. Uh, I can't discuss the specifics about it. 
except to say the Secret Machines is a rather intriguing read. Uh, so in late August, I met with you in San Diego. Um, at that time, uh, you asked me and a few others, we best not name, we could say Hal put off, but I don't want to mention the other names there. Uh, but they were all like big players in the UAP and phenomena realm here, and everybody would know them if we mentioned their names. Al and I agreed to work with you, and we sketched out uh, the structure of the company on a paper napkin. Is, did that sort of sound right to you? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, I think like, you know, it's funny, basically AJ and I, AJ knew nothing about UFOs at all. So I spent six months with them going over documents that were either FOIA documents or stuff that leaked on the internet or whatever that I thought seemed to hold some kind of credibility and just brought them up to speed and came up with this entire story. So by the time I met the advisors, you know, the brass that people now know, you know, might me to have worked with, the book was already written. You know, I think that's one of the things that some people in the government probably thought that these advisors were writing the book with me. It wasn't. I think I got them because they read the book and they 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 felt the subject matter was taken seriously and it, and it was presented in a very kind of grounded way. And um, but I was never able to ask them what was true and not or anything. Um, I, I had to rely kind of on my own skills as a detective you know, trying to make, put it all together. And um, yeah, so once we got that out and then I had some of those people you mentioned wanted to meet. And I was really excited about it because I was very much like just looking for as many people as possible to help me, um, just to help me just spearhead kind of what TTSA became TTS, which I didn't really have the best model for, because as you know me, I'm pretty impulsive, I'm ambitious and I'm an artist. So I'm always like, how about this? How about this? How about this? You see what sticks. But when I, I met with them and I think we, we, they had a lot of questions because I, even I didn't understand some of the conversations I had with these advisors. Because I couldn't talk to them about anything that would have been classified. I couldn't talk to them about anything they worked on. I, would, I could only talk to them about like mythology and astrology, you know, um, or cosmology and like these big, big wider topics, you know, like, for example, one of the things we talked about a lot were like the Greek gods and Greek mythology, which even to this day, I still don't totally understand how it connects in every single way. But, but, um, so when I met, um, the friends of yours, I remember it'd be like, why are they talking to you about Greek mythology? I don't know. You know, like this is what I think. This is what I think. Yeah. And there's a lot of questions still left there. But um, that that's when they said, "Hey, you should you should meet Jim." You know, and I was I was ecstatic because at the time you were still super heavily involved with the agency, and like you were you were just like a real player, you know. And I and I and that's all I wanted. I and what I definitely didn't want to do was do anything that ruffled anybody's feathers necessarily in a bad way. I wanted to push the ball down the field, and I'm willing to push on boundaries as much as I can, but I wasn't, I wasn't trying to do something to get in trouble or, 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 or hurt any efforts. Because when I came to the, I, the, basically when I wrote the book, I came to the conclusion on my own that, wow, this is a fucking wicked problem. This thing is extremely advanced. This thing is extremely scary because I think there's some dark aspects that are going on. And I, that's when I came up, I feel like we're fighting a tank with a stick and right. who am I to walk out there and just act like I know everything. And like, just spill the beans on everything. I'm like, I think I have an understanding of what's going on. And now I have a greater understanding of, wow, maybe they're doing exactly what I would have done if I were in their shoes or that any smart person would have done. And maybe that needs to happen, you know? And um, one of the things that always resonated with me is what you, you always said this, go, Tom, you may have, you know, a 10,000 foot view of this, but what if somebody has a 60,000 foot view of this and just knows a hell of a lot more than you, you know? And I was like, copy that that's exactly the case and i and i think that kind of going by that was really what made me want to have better people in my circle more purple people in my circle and try to do it as a group effort that can help and not hurt our chances at a wider conversation um and secret machines is a, is a really is a really great story that i really do believe the arts matter in this like i always wondered if they were to put together like in congress right now they're talking about a presidential review board of of scholars or the people, the elites, you know, that can pour, go through the information of what gets disclosed. I always thought an artist should be there because I think artists in general are more in touch with consciousness on. So, cause like a scientific mind is very zeros and ones in the very present, unless you're Hal Pudoff, Hal Pudoff yeah. is a spiritual scientist, you know, but a lot of times guys that are caught up in how you measure something, they're, they're restricted by what they can measure with the tools they got. Artists and mystics are just like, what they're doing is real too. And they're not using a measuring stick or a beaker, you know? And so I, yeah. I, I 
having an artist uh, or a story to present these themes creates an emotional on uh, the word tether you know through point where people can feel as they learn and have an understanding of the gravity of the situation and um so yeah that is how i met you that that is uh how we got here but you guys provided um man all you guys at ttsa in the early days just provided so much balanced measured conversation to my more emotional kind of attack mechanism i did on all this stuff like uh it really opened me up to understanding the graver nature of this subject and also like just just the weight carried by people trying to understand this and deal with this and make the right decisions with this and also too like having an understanding that everyone i met in the government which i've met a lot at this point not one of them has seemed like a liar a thief a weirdo like um somebody that how all you know alternate kind of ambitions like you know um moral ambiguity like it, every single person was a smart educated seasoned veteran of their category of information that you know moved up the ranks because they're they're trustable and and uh they're verifiable individuals and they deserve to be where they're at so it kind of took out all that kind of cloak and dagger kind of like conspiracy theory all these men in black in the government they're doing all these crazy shit it's just it's never been the case you don't you don't you don't rise to those ranks by being an asshole and getting it wrong, I guess, is my point, you know? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I want to make two quick points uh, about this. The first one is Tom Tom's advisors, his original advisors, um, uh, I, I think two or three were outed when the Russians uh, leaked the emails. And um, so we sort of know who they are. But Tom has never divulged the, the other seven. Never. And I asked him a couple of times. He just said no. And I did guess two of them from the IC uh, who met with who you met with, uh, I think once or twice, um, very senior people. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I, I I'm not telling you how I figured it out, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what it was. But you've, you've never, ever discussed that publicly with anybody and even privately. And the second thing I want to I, I want to add to this, because you brought this up. When we all met and we all came together, um, a lot of us had security clearances, and you know we we all had what they call top secret, uh, uh, you know TS special compartmented information talent keyhole, which means we pretty much could read everything. Some of us had cues. I had a cue. Uh, we had a couple more things after our name. Um, um, and uh, here we are sitting with you, and none of us, we all came from different agencies. So none of us were allowed really, we didn't know what the other one knew completely, right? So there was a lot of dancing around. And I know you you were sitting there and we were trying to dance around some of the classified stuff and you'd be sitting there. And I remember saying to myself, this is so fucking unfair to Tom because, you know, what you're getting is, you know, sort of, you could see it, you saw it in us that we sort of wanted to say something, we really couldn't say things. Um, um, uh, and uh, I felt bad because, you know, it was, it was like, you know, we, we, we thought we, we all knew you were part of, part of the team, but we couldn't get into, uh, some of it. Um, but now, um, over, you know, the last few years and particularly since Dave Grush came out uh, and I wanted to ask you about that. Um, uh, and, and you know, uh, whether you've met with Grush, uh, Graves and, and, uh, um, Fravor, and what you thought about that interview, that real, I thought it was historic interview uh, when they met with the House, uh, I think it was the House uh, Armed Select Committee on Intelligence or the House Armed Services Committee. I can't remember what. I mean, David, whom I know, um, you know, pretty much let out a lot of stuff that I, I'm still shocked that, A, he was allowed to say it. What, what did you think about that? It did blew my mind. I mean, completely blew my mind. And you know, until I met with David and understood, because I, I did finally meet him. He came out to a show and brought him backstage and just talked to him for a couple hours. And I was like, how in God's name were you able to do that? And he said it was actually really funny. You know, he, he filed with the security offices of what he wanted to say. And the only way they could tell him not to say it was to admit that these things were real. So right. they just didn't admit that these programs and keywords and whatever the hell you guys do is real. So he's okay. Then I'm going to say it, you know? And I was like, Oh my God, like he caught him in a catch 22. Um, but to see him live on TV doing that under oath blew my mind that this wasn't 
the biggest headline every day since. But I think the people sitting in the committee knew exactly what was going on. And I think Congress is now got a fire under their ass because they're all now they're all kind of where we were many years ago going, wait, what is this real? Wait, what? So, uh, but I found David to be um, not only one of the more brighter individuals I've ever met. You know, I mean, this guy is just names, dates, locations. Like, I mean, he he can just, this. he's a very, very seasoned intel officer at various agencies too. I, I, I don't want to say things I probably shouldn't, but he was telling me kind of where he's from and all the things he's worked on. And I mean, this is like, um, maybe you should, you'd be better at explaining kind of like the level, like you, like who he is. Cause people want to doubt him, but like his credentials are massive. Um, no, he, yeah. You, you know, Tom, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, David is, I always tell people, I had, I had a few phone calls, you know, when he first came out and they said, what do you think? And I, and I just sent back to man, the, the dude is the real deal, right? I mean, he is exactly who he says he is. Um, and let me tell you something else about him. You know, he's 36 years old. He was a GS-15. That's the equivalent of a full colonel. You do not get that. You see that rarely in the government. So clearly, he was doing something really, really well and that people had, you know, great faith in him and trust in him. And they was a pretty smart guy. Um, you're right. I mean, he worked across the intelligence community and he had... Um, the kind of clearances, you know, that allow you to basically look at some very, um, you know, bigoted and uh, restricted programs, um, uh, wavered, unwavered. I mean, he basically saw them all and he used that to, you know, to get to the bottom of what he thought was something that needed to be, needed to be brought out. Um, now, you know, you can get into an argument about, you know, Title 10 and Title 50. I mean, Title 50 is, uh, is the intelligence community, how they run their business. Title 10 is how the military and the DOD run their business. And and you can get into an argument about whether or not Congress, you know, needed to know, uh, you know, something that the executive branch is running. And did members of the congressional branch actually know about it, but never said anything, never stepped up and, and said anything because of the situation? executive action documents. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you can get into here. But nevertheless, David felt very, very strongly that he needed he needed to get this out. He felt that everybody should know about it. And that's probably his strongest point as far as I'm concerned. There are way too many people. Millions of people have had these experiences, these abduction experiences, contact experiences. And the government cannot keep denying, you know, the reality of this. And, and they can't put these people in some kind of box, you know, where they label them as you know, is somehow or other, you know, they're a little bit crazy around the edges, things along those lines. But it's actually not true. You can't sit on this. You just can't. And and it's unfair. It's unfair to a lot of people. And it's been going on way too damn long. And so I think Dave's point in that regard uh, is, um, is, you know, is worthwhile. And I agree with him. I, I do want to get into one area real quickly. Uh, over the years, you've made some very provocative statements about UAPs and the phenomenon. And you actually just made uh, quite a few of them uh, over the last hour or so. Lately, in the Newsweek article you did, on, I think on November 23rd. So my question is, has there been any changes in your worldview on UAPs and the phono phenomenon over, let's say, the last you know six years or 10 years? And if so, what are those changes? Now, you alluded to some of them, but I want to ask you that specific question. What was Tom DeLong, you know, 1.0? Now we have Tom DeLong 2.0. What's the difference? Yeah, I think in the early days, I, there, I think there's like three major growth points in my understanding of this phenomenon as best as I can have it. Um, the first one was that, you know, th these things came from other planets and they might have fucked with our DNA a bit and they want, you know, they might, it's like the, there's a lot of stuff like ancient, like kind of historical metaphysical documents so they're, they're like the sumerian texts and stuff like they come here for the gold to mine gold and all this weird shit and so i was kind of stuck in a very physical like you know tactile understanding okay they come here from there and they want a resource um and we're slaves okay cool then i then the second step was like okay that's not seeming how our understanding of the universe works with the double slit experiment and consciousness and quantum physics and everything existing in parallel these things are coming from time and they're here because they don't share or have the same consciousness that we have. And that to them 
is very alluring, you know, just like all the ancient religions say, Satan wants your soul, you know. The yeah. third step is the latest thing that I've grown into is rapidly advancing our DNA to prepare us in a, to be in a certain way where they can be here and inhabit the life that we have and hack the way an AI system would hack into the programming of what our soul might be, which is outside of time and space, which I think is a really interesting, and it still makes more sense to me in the sense of where in, in order to make that system hackable, there has to be, it has to be at a certain part point in evolution of its own growth, which this brings in way more understanding, way, make, makes way more sense why it would separate us into religions and keep us fighting and warring and feeling and emotion at such a degree that like, it's, it's almost like being a child and you go through like one of your parents pass away. That child is so much more wise and mature and damaged, you know, than any other kid in his class because right. they went through so much pain. Um, I was meditating when I went through my divorce with my family and I was in so much pain over that breakup. I remember I was meditating a lot and the messages and the clarity and the pictures that would come through every once in a while were, they were profound, like profound philosophical growth messages that were very much like things that I've held on to this day, like five different times where I would be there just asking. And it's no different than when someone's praying, God, please help me, or someone's meditating and uh, you know, they, they want answers to the universe. It's all the same mechanism. So I think in profound moments of pain and emotion, it rapidly evolves our consciousness for the good or the bad. You know, if you do something, so there's so much pain, you might spin out, have so much PTSD that you end up shooting up a Walmart or you go through so much pain, you grow so much that you become a spiritual teacher and walk other people through and help them heal. I think you can go other direction with this stuff. But if something's coming here, my third step, my third big growth here is that I think something is, is, has socially engineered our planet to feel an enormous amount of pain and chaos and war and strife and whatever to rapidly advance our consciousness in the negative to where it's more hackable from an outside system, a synthetic system, an AI system, um, or a different form of consciousness of what, what we don't understand. I mean, we're already getting sentience out of AI right now. So what would happen in a million years? And we put it in some kind of a physical body that that is organic, but it's it can think and act on its own in a certain way that we never even can imagine. But my 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 biggest change is that's what's going on because I kind of go, why are we always in an endless state of war? Like since the dawn of man, it's like we can't stop killing each other. Why well, I, I don't feel like we're doing that naturally. I don't feel like we're acting as humans were meant to be. If we were unperturbed in this beautiful pale blue dot, as Carl Sagan calls it, this earth, I don't, I, our natural instinct is to love and is to care and is to cherish. I remember talking to Lou Elizondo one time about what UFOs are doing as they come here and the way they interact with people. And he didn't even like really answer the question, but he goes, have you seen those experiments, you know, where you put a guy in a car and they put him around a racetrack and they just have him drive a little bunny, they'll put a little bunny in front of the car and you'll swerve out of the way. He says, some people just roll right over the bunny. They'll just drive right over it. And you're like, why? Why will some people not care about life and other people just super care about life? And that's what his weird answer was to some question I asked about UFOs then coming here. He left me up all night. You know, I'm like, fuck, you know, like what are we doing? Right. With the the de-evolution of mankind might've been engineered, you know? Yeah. What's the reason why? Well, probably because then once once we're not connected to all information, past, present, and future, to God, maybe we're, we can be accessed to a whole set of different information. It's bad. You know? I don't know. Um, and that, that to me is where I've ended up these days. Okay. Let me, uh, this is uh, one of the questions I really wanted to pose to you, and it, it sort of segues really nicely into what you just said. You, you remember John Keel, you know, I, you know that. Yeah, yeah, he was just incredible. I know you've you've read all his books, and I have too, numerous times. And but one of Keel's best books, in my opinion, is Operation Trojan Horse. And I know we've had conversations about this over the years, but Keel talks about Uf UFOs or UAPs being paraphysical, and by that he meant just normally invisible. 
and generated by entities in a paraphysical realm, which I think we both we both can agree on that. But one one commentator um, um, who who was was talking about Keel noted that Keel also believed that the UFO phenomenon is actually, and this is a quote here, a staggering cosmic put on, a joke perpetrated by invisible entities who have always delighted in frightening, confusing, and misleading the human race. Unquote. Do you think Keel could be right about that? Because he he said this later on in, in in his life. This is what he one of the conclusions I think he came to after studying this for so many years. Yeah, I do. Awesome. I do. You think it's a, yeah, some kind of a joke? Yeah, I think it's all meant for deception, um, you know, because it. I, what always struck me as weird is like, even when you go back to the 30s and 40s, you know, when people start seeing UFOs, like they, they were like, or even the airship mystery of the late 1800s is like, these craft were like steampunk engines. And then all of a sudden these craft had like switches. And then later on, these craft have no computers at all or anything. You know, it's like, oh, the aliens got really advanced over the past 80 years. Wow. They really <laughs> stumbled onto some new technology or something. But then you look back at kind of going, okay, look at the folklore of trolls and fairies and leprechauns and, and uh, chimeras of all different sorts. And like, they were all doing the same thing as aliens are doing now. And so you're kind of going, it's leading us down a path that's spurring a belief system. And Kiel was super into this. Jacques Vallée was super into this. And these are two guys that you and I obviously and so many others respect greatly. Is like, okay, let's stop thinking about the occupants and the craft. What are they doing to people? Like, what's why are they here? What's the effect from all this? And the effect, again, is always premonitions of the future, prophecies that don't unfold, cults that are started suicides like uh like just upending your entire life becoming schizophrenic or having magical powers to heal you know it's kind of all the above and it's and it's creating divisions and what happens when you get a prophecy and a bunch of people together and they all kill themselves by drinking kool-aid or some guy becomes a mystic and he's able to heal with his hands and then a religion forms around him or somebody is deeply in a certain particular religion and they rise to the ranks of running their country and they have an iron grip on power with that religion and they're beheading people in the streets for not believing that religion. I mean, and it, 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 all these are coming from like kind of paranormal metaphysical events, you know, and all of them, a different type of angel demon or, you know, genie that came out of a bottle or a leprechaun that showed up in your house. Um, you know, all the different like things in the pagan religion, all the, the Celtic stuff, you know, like it, it, it seems to be all be doing the same thing. But like, um, but leading you to a very particular place, the more you get into the stuff, the more people tend to get deeper into conspiracy, conspiracy, and they go crazy. And then, then they storm the Capitol on January 6th, you know, because they believe anything they read. And, um, it's, and I think that's like that, that's, that's where John Keel really hit the nail on the head is, is like something is deceiving us that is socially engineering our free will choices to end up in a particular way. And that to me is what we need to be looking at, you know, because that to me is the life we are experiencing. And that is the effect, um, not so much the cause. I mean, if we can understand the effect, maybe we can change what we deal with. The I mean, you know, I always found it really interesting. There's a lot of abductee reports where in the middle of the abduction, somebody will say in the name of Jesus, you can't have my soul and you cannot touch me. And then the aliens will just poof, just disappear. But then there'll be another abductee that I'll say like, I'm a free will human being and you have no power over me. And then the aliens disappear. It's like almost like claiming sovereignty over yourself matters with the phenomenon. It's like they can't, they need your free will decision-making process as a part of what they're doing. And, um, and that's it's and that's not like some weird religious thing or some ancient philosoph it might be philosophical, but I'm just saying just like fundamentally, that might be a physics thing with consciousness here in this kind of event horizon between two systems, you know, gonna yeah. fight over like physical matter, you know. Let me you know, we we're sort of running out of time here. And I, I just want to ask you one final question if it's okay. And you're probably one of the more thoughtful people uh in the public eye um when it comes to this topic and I always enjoy, thoroughly enjoy chatting with you. Uh, I remember when we used to have these late night conversations and what have you. And, but I wanted to ask you a question. And in the end, 
I mean, as you sit here today, you know, you're out in Encinitas, right? I am. Yes, yeah, San Diego. Yeah, San Diego. And uh, you're sitting there. And um, do you feel optimistic? Do you feel happy? Do you feel scared? Do you feel, if you look at both you and me, you know, as being, and our listeners, you know, as every man, what, what do we do? I mean, how, how do we react? How are we supposed to react to this? I, I'll tell you right now that after studying this, this stuff for 30 years, which I'm not where you're at with it. And I also haven't been read into the shit you've been read into, but I have a pretty good grasp of, of a lot of information. Um, you know, I, I have, I have been very consistent for the past decade that there's one very specific thing that is in our benefit that will make all this worth it. I always tell people an analogy, like if you were to sit there and play chess with an AI computer, you can't beat it. It'll beat you. But if you were to pause the game and meditate and have access to all information, past, present, future, the way they did in the remote viewing program, the way mystics do it, the way certain religious leaders do it, you can come right back and beat that, beat that computer because you have a way, you have a superpower that you don't even know. So the one good thing that comes out of disclosure of all this stuff is my, my hope would be that all the religions of the world may realize they've been duped, but they will keep the core fundamental three things about it that, that they really only care about, which is the father, son, Holy spirit, physical body, tether source. And the more you pray and meditate, you open up that fiber optic cable and you can have crazy power. You can heal, you can walk on water, you can fucking move things, you become telepathic and you can beat a, beat an AI computer at chess. And if we spiritually evolve our consciousness by being able to measure it and understand it, explain it and, and, and bring that into our physics. And if all that happens because we disclose that there's things here that are after our form of consciousness, then we will be able to push back because they will have, they won't be able to get what they want. They'll have to move on and go somewhere else. Um, yeah. In theory, in theory, um, you don't see UFOs coming here and zapping us and killing us all like independence day. I do know obviously things like Colares down in South America where there are people that have wounds and you know, they're all, okay. This what somebody got shot by a bunch of weird lasers and they died or whatever, but maybe they were just trying to sample what organic material was out there. You know, we don't know if it was there to kill people or if it was there trying to say, is that a plant? Oh, that's a human. And, and it hurt, you know, we hurt ourselves all the time with technology. We don't know. But if something wanted to come here and just wipe us out, it could, but it's not because what it needs from us is, is important. And if they can't get that, why would they even, why? I don't know. I'm pretending I would know, but I just don't see it that way. I see that bringing this stuff out would be scary, would plug up some holes in our understanding of physics, quantum physics, and consciousness. We would then be able to have the grand talk of like your human didn't create the universe and my human didn't create the universe. So let's stop spending like all of this money and death and bloodshed trying to kill each other over it. Let's understand what consciousness is. Let's grow that. And then that superpower will be the ultimate weapon against something. You know, if we don't know that knowledge, if we don't have an understanding of what it's doing and what it wants, then there is no defense. But if we know um, that we have something they don't have and we exercise that and we build that superpower, I believe we don't need to have the same technology to push back. I believe yeah. that we'll be able to guard that and we'll, we'll, we'll be sovereign amongst ourselves. And what that would mean is, is taking off the shackles and the walls of what religions put on free will. And what that would mean is exercising that free, that free will and that tether, you know, meditating, praying, whatever you want to call it. And, um, I think that's where intuition really matters. And that's where manifestation of physical matter through consciousness, the double slit experiment, that everything's a wave until a human brain turns it into a particle, you know, and that's where we can create the life we want. So it's ripping the bandaid off, but I think it's like, you know, you have a bunch of ants that are eating your old burrito out in the yard and just take that burrito away. The ants will have to go find a burrito somewhere else, you know? And I think that's, that's the best way to look at it for, from my point of view, you know? Well, listen, my friend, thanks so much for letting us get into your head. And I, I will say this as a, you know, bona fide boomer. That was a heavy conversation, man. So the big question is, how did I do in your brain? Yeah. I mean, anything there that, that you greatly disagree with or all of it is all of it food for thought 
No, no. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm like you. I mean, I, I always speak in conditionally. You know, I mean, if I, I, I have my own opinions about this too, and we're pretty much about ninety, ninety five percent on oh, the same wavelength there for sure. Uh, and uh, the the ultimate thing is, you know, we don't know for sure. Um, um, but I loved how you pulled it all together. Um, and and you know, it, what I think it's interesting too is to see how your head works. You know, and it works pretty well. As far, as far as I'm concerned, I knew that from the first time I met you, by the way, that well, you, you know, the whole thing with you, though, is it's just for the people listening to this. Jim knows a fuck of a lot. Not only does he know a lot about this phenomenon because uh, of his work at the agency, but he also spent decades of his own life reading all those books behind him. So half of the books that I've read are because you've called me up and said, you really need to read this book. And every time I would talk to you about anything in the occult or anything that's esoteric or anything that's even somewhat ancient religion oriented you always had a wealth of knowledge deeply on all those subjects and so our conversations we never had to sit there and talk about saucers and and it's like because none of that really matters it's it's all the weird shit that comes along with it and trying to trying to find like breadcrumbs and and patterns within that stuff and um and I don't know, like if I, if I ever am able, if I, I think you have this tendency to say, like, we don't know, we don't know. I'm telling the listeners right now, Jim knows a fuck of a lot. So if he agrees with anything I say in any kind of way, I always feel like I won a couple points. I'm like, fuck. Okay, cool. All right. Cause you have no problem telling me when I'm full of shit. That's the other big thing too. You know, you're pretty much on the money. And it was a reason, one of the reasons I talked to Carrie, our chief operating officer about wanting to do this with you. Uh, how important it was. I think after reading a lot of the interviews that you've given, I said, you know, we really got to get him on TTS talks and we really got to get him to, to get inside his head on this because you've been doing, you've done quite a bit of research on this yourself. So I just want to say thank you so, so much. Do part two. I would love to do, I would love to do part two. So let's, uh, we're going to wrap up this session of TTS talks now and we'll be back very soon. All of the Secret Machines books are available at twothestars.media. You can stay up to date with TTS by finding us on social media, Instagram at twothestars.media, to Facebook at twothestars, Inc. Again, thanks for tuning into TCS Talk, TTS Talks. A special shout out to Carrie DeLong, Lisa Clifford, and our own AC Catrone for all their help and assistance. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us, and we will catch you next time for episode 13 of TTS Talks.